0: This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. The Property Show on BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Good morning. You're listening to The Property Show on The Morning Run, and I'm Philip C. Joining me on the show today is Ashwin Durairaja, Executive Director of GreenRe, Malaysia's leading green building certification body, and Teo Chui Ping, Board Member and Secretary General of Reda, as well as Managing Director of Central Properties Group Sindhiramberhad, as we talk about the opportunities and challenges of green buildings. Good morning. Welcome to the show. Es- it's one of the biggest misconceptions about green buildings is that they're very expensive. I mean, you hear this whole thing, you know, from Bill Gates, this whole green premium. Is there this green premium with respect to green buildings? Is it very expensive? Okay.
1: So it is, it is a
0: misconception.
1: I think um, compared to 10 years ago, we have actually moved a lot. You know, uh, in terms of technology available, the building materials uh, to go green are now readily available and also there's no incremental cost anymore to it. Mm. So the misconception is that, you know, it's, it is more expensive, but actually it's not. Um, for example, if you want to go for the basic certification, uh, under green RE, um, it doesn't cost you any more actually in terms mm. to build it versus standard building. Yet you you will still get uh, energy savings
0: of about 10 to 15 percent. So it's actually worth. It is worth that transition, essentially. And I remember what you... I think what you're saying, essentially, is yes, it was expensive 10 years ago, but now that cost gap has narrowed substantially. And in fact, there is a benefit to doing green because of all the savings, operational savings you get there. But let's just remind back a bit, you know, 10 years ago, when you talk about that differential, you know, where was that differential? You know, where is it that it was very expensive to do green then?
1: I think it was the... The, um, there, there was no economies of scale okay. to, to do uh, green building materials. For example, green concrete. Probably ten years ago, it was something new, um, but now actually it's it's actually uh, widely available green concrete. Yeah, um, and it's no not much more ex- not not more expensive than than the concrete.
0: I guess then what you're saying is that, look, those technologies were nascent. I mean, it's the same logic with solar panels in the past. I remember it being super high, but it's now come to the point where in many markets, it's actually even cheaper than, you know, plugging onto the grid. And I guess that's what's also happening with green buildings. But I guess coming back to the 101 basics of what is a green building, I guess that's one of the biggest challenges, right? It's not... Um, is there a clear distinction or definition of what a green building is?
2: Yeah, good, good, good question. Uh, I think a, a green building is basically a building that minimizes the negative environmental impacts to its surroundings, mm. both externally and internally. Uh, this applies to the overall life cycle of a building project, from design and construction through to operation and end of life. This holistic approach encompasses uh, lowering greenhouse gas emissions, reducing the need for natural resources such as uh, energy and water, uh, minimizing waste, preserving biodiversity, increasing the resilience to changing weather patterns, and improved indoor air quality. Given the urgency of dealing with our climate emergency, reducing greenhouse gas emissions, what we refer to as embodied carbon, the upfront carbon, and operational carbon during its Uh, operation phase is critical and the long-term goal is to bring these buildings and cities towards a net zero carbon emissions and green buildings will need to incrementally evolve towards this target.
0: But when it comes back to the question about minimising impact, I guess it comes back to the 101, how do you measure the impact? The question here is how do we look at a specific building and understand what's its impact? How do we quantify the emissions that come out from the building? How do we do that actually?
2: Okay, so that is why uh, green building rating systems have been developed. Uh, Greenry, which is where we are from, was set up by Reda in 2013. And we are currently the leading green building certification body in Malaysia. Uh, We offer a science-based, progressive and affordable approach uh, to green building certification. So buildings are rated across a four-tier scale, uh, bronze, silver, gold and platinum. And we have uh, a portfolio of rating tools. For different types of buildings so mm. no, it's not a one-size-fits-all we've got a rating system for residential buildings for non-residential buildings industrial facilities hospitals uh, and data centers now data centers are proliferating around the world well, given the extent to which we're moving towards the cloud right so all these uh, little tweaks are there so we have to develop a, a framework to assess them uh, our evaluation framework comprises of over 100 indicators encompassed by five major pillars so we look at energy efficiency water efficiency environmental protection indoor environment quality we talk about the indoor environment as well and this whole life carbon impact Uh, this is the the new lingo the new currency uh, carbon measurement, carbon abatement so we need to distill all the endeavors that we do towards going green into this whole life carbon figure uh, the environmental protection pillar that I mentioned earlier, five pillars, that's quite broad ranging. So these are this covers things that people normally associate with a green building, things like building materials, greenery provision, uh, green transportation, being close to public transportation, facilitating electric vehicles, etc. And stormwater management in particular, uh, which is something we all need to address. Uh, that's the the biggest uh, climate-related phenomena that we are, climate change... Oh, for sure.
0: I think flooding is the biggest concern we have here. It's affecting many people's lives all around the valley.
2: Correct, correct, correct. Uh, so we have these indicators and a scoring mechanism across all these pillars. And that's how we define uh, a green building. So
0: defining it is very important. I guess these criterias help us get a sense of where we are. The, the broader question is, it's a function also of awareness. Why do you do it? Why do you want to go green? You want to save the planet. I guess the bigger issue is the economics of it. And it comes back to, you know, Ping, for you having managed one utama, what, what, what spurred the decision to say it was important to go green? Was it an altruistic intention or was there also an economic commercial consideration here?
1: I think it's both, actually. Uh, when we first planned for, actually, the Bandar township, the commercial areas, we knew we were going to build a mall, several office towers, uh, hotels. Um, and these are all commercial buildings with high energy usage. So it made, made sense. And we knew that we were going to own and operate the buildings. Mm. So it made for long term... So it made sense to basically make them green. So from the onset already, we, we put in brain water harvesting tanks back in the 1990s. We started a district cooling system so that it could supply chilled water air conditioning to all the commercial buildings. Um, and this basically system basically made, made chilled water or ice during the non-peak times at night. And then in, the, in the daytime, they would just draw on the chilled water without having to, to basically use the, the, use the grid, electricity grid. And then we basically relamped uh, all our buildings with LED uh, lamps a long time ago, actually a few, a few years back. Um, you graduate from like, your fluorescent to your PLCs to your LEDs. And now there's no there's no incremental cost for it. In fact, LEDs are actually very cheap nowadays. Yeah. You know, as worth it because in, you initially you will immediately get a fifteen percent
0: increase. This usability. was a journey, isn't it, for for even one Utama and Banda Utama's development per se. In your and in your experience here, what was diff, what was you thought easy to do but actually turned out to be difficult to execute? And also the flip side, what you thought was gonna be difficult to do but actually turned out to be super easy to execute.
1: I think the because of the technology, so mm. at that time when we started in nineteen nineties with the chilled water system for example Um, the the usage material was ice but ice used a lot of uh, um, coolant Uh, anyway ice Uh, was uh, refrigerant the refrigerant yeah Uh, refrigerant was hmm. was actually not very environmentally friendly because you needed you needed to basically put in this chemical into the ice so we eventually evolved into using just chilled water just normal water tanks much cheaper to much cheaper to implement. Mm. Uh, you don't need to put in any refrigerant, anything in there, and it's just pumping through cold water. So we thought what, what we thought was a, a good system, actually we evolved ourselves into something which is... There were many practical. permutations,
0: and many iterations yes. that came through for it. Yes. Yeah. On the flip side, anything that you thought was going to be super difficult but actually turned out easy? I guess the LED lights were very easy to yeah,
1: do. Yeah, very easy. Because the technology also moved forward, mm. um, LED lights became so cheap. Right, so you could actually relamp the entire mall without without much. You mm. know. Uh, even paints, paints evolve from now you know VOC to low VOC paints. Mm. Adhesives, uh, even building materials, uh, higher recycled content now is all available.
0: Very interesting point, and and I just I guess I know what I know, right? Essentially, and I don't know what I don't know. This is the bigger question about the technology roadmap for future technologies. You know, and Ashwin. What's your view, or you know do you have a kind of overview? where do you think where do you think the next innovations are going to take place right, with respect to helping us you know accelerate this transition to green building status for more for more uh, properties across Malaysia?
2: Okay, yes, uh, good question. Uh, a lot of technological advancements need to take place if we are going to achieve this net zero energy target. That the world green building council has put forward there's net zero energy and there's net zero carbon so if we talk about net zero energy we need to improve the efficiency of a building To a level where it can be offset or replaced, the rest of the energy can be provided by renewable energy Uh, and the rate at which the grid is decarbonizing in Malaysia uh, looking at the latest national uh, energy policy we're not going to have a decarbonized grid by 2050 so we need to focus on optimizing the demand side and the biggest contributor to your demand side consumption is cooling Mm. and water heating uh, in a tropical context uh, so when you talk about cooling, there uh, there is a global cooling price that is held every year. We've had consultants in Malaysia who have submitted their proposals where we look at separating the dehumidification from the need to cool the building. So there are technological advancements moving that, in that direction to lower the energy needs of a typical air conditioning unit. There's a theoretical limit to which we can go down to uh, in terms of efficiency of an air conditioning unit, but maybe we need to start looking at other ways in which we you know, rethink out of the box yeah. so when we cool a building. Uh, nanomaterials are coming in. Uh, This can improve the heat transfer capability of your cooling system. Even things like refrigerants, uh, we overlook the greenhouse uh, global warming potential of refrigerants. Uh, we were worried about the ozone layer in '92, so ozone depleting uh, potential of refrigerants now is zero. But the global warming potential is very, very high. Even a seemingly green refrigerant, refrigerant like R32 has 670 times the global warming potential of uh, CO2. So there's a lot of research going into bringing that down to tens and... Perhaps even down to ones or zeros. Uh, there's other forms of refrigerants, isobutane, propane. Uh, there's an R1234A. Uh, you know, theoretical. Uh refrigerant out there. So these are areas, and I think if you ask me where it most has to happen, it's in the cooling space. The cooling space, yeah. yeah. But what
0: I think is very interesting is you talk about the technologies here, but Ping, there are some passive things we can do already, isn't it, to help us actually cool the locations of the building. Design, smart design can work. Perhaps can you share some of the experiences you've had where just how you subtly make changes to how you lay out or design a specific space will really help you achieve or reduce the goals towards net zero
1: yeah um this goes to basically uh, all the low-hanging fruit the easy easy yeah. things to implement in, in in when you design a new building uh, for example very easy things that and any architect will be able to do is north-south orientation because as you know malaysia is a tropical climate East and West are where the heat comes from. So you basically oriented all your windows on the North-South and mm. put all your solid walls on the East-West. That's a natural sunshade already and cost you nothing to do. Uh, no, nothing to, to, to co- cost you nothing to implement that, right? Um, things like, for example, Wanatama. When we built Wanatama and designed for it, we sandwiched the retail spaces or the floors in between car parks. Yeah. Put the car park floors on top and at the bottom. So that also acts as a natural insulation against the heat
0: Interesting. On the
1: outside. So that's how yeah. things like that, which cost me nothing to implement. Very
0: interesting, yeah.
1: It is very simple. Uh, any, any good architect, you know, um, should be able to do it. Uh, it's, it's the principles that they learned in, in architectural school.
0: All right, and we're going to take a short break for messages and come back for some more discussions on green building. Stay tuned, BFM 89.9. Welcome back. You're tuned in to The Property Show on The Morning Run. I'm Philip C. And with me today is Ashwin Turay-Raja and Dio Chui-Ping from Greenery as we talk about the challenges of greening your building. It's easy when you're talking about greenfield, isn't it? When you have a new kind of development taking place, you can kind of put all these uh, designs in place. It is harder, I presume, you know, 90, 90 over percent of buildings here are brownfield. How do we kind of get people motivated to try and make changes within an existing structure and space?
1: Yes, um, you're right. So about 99% of existing building stock in Malaysia mm. um, are non-green buildings because they're they basically been constructed before the rating systems came into place, and most of them are aging already. So for example, the for commercial buildings, the low-hanging fruit to get the the needle, the biggest needle mover in terms of energy savings is actually retrofitting your aging chillers. So chiller systems natu- you know normally age between 15 to 20 years. So at that time, it's probably worth considering as a building owner to replace your chillers with higher efficiency chillers, and you'll see the immediate impact uh, in terms of savings in energy bills. Um, The government also uh, provides an incentive for people to retrofit their chillers, so they can claim back uh, what we call an ITA, income tax allowance, which basically, it's a double double tax allowance that you can claim for retrofitting
0: your chiller. And we're going to talk about the government incentives very shortly, but I wanted to bring you in to this point, Ashwin, about you know the solutions out there, the financing solutions out there, especially if people want to transition their capex, their cooling systems, right? And you know, in very tight economic conditions now, where you're seeing rising interest rates, people are very worried to make these investments. So, perhaps they might even defer, you know, making all these big capex decisions going forward. Are there solutions out there, you know, for the small medium enterprises or even the larger corporates who perhaps may not have the appetite to invest in this perhaps slightly heavier capex uh, but you know want something a bit more drawn out a bit more able to, for the investments to kind of work well with the operational savings that comes with the transition to the new technology
2: good good question uh, there are several uh, solutions out there uh, for financing uh, firstly being the mida tax incentives Uh, These apply to commercial building owners uh, only. Uh, So you you have to be the owner of the building, a commercial entity. Uh, There's an investment tax allowance. So the differential cost, uh, it it costs you to upgrade or even for a greenfield development if you're doing it at the onset, the additional cost to put a more high-performance piece of equipment, that can be claimed as an investment tax allowance against your statutory income. If you're an existing building owner you don't want to put down any capex. there are energy service companies out there who can come in and take on that KPEX and do a shared savings model with you where they take on some of the savings that you that they generate yeah. from the upgrades maybe for a period of 5 or 6 years and then hand over the asset back to you there's also cooling as a service lighting as a service providers who can perpetually rent you uh, mm. know, the cooling to you So they will take care of the optimization and the maintenance of a central system, and you just pay a a usage fee. Uh, So that way you optimize the resources needed uh, for the asset. Uh, Thirdly, and this is something very encouraging that we see now, is Bank Negara is compelling a lot of financing institutions to lend towards green endeavors. And there are several banks who have component-level financing schemes. I'm sure you've heard of solar panel financing. Yes, There's now even energy efficiency financing. You want to upgrade your chiller, you want to uh, upgrade your lift, you want to upgrade your lighting systems, uh, even to put in a BMS system, a building management system, which is the brains behind the controls and monitoring of a building. All this, there are cheaper financing solutions out there. So things are, you know, the market is maturing. We are moving in the right direction. Uh, There can be more, of course. Uh, Singapore, for example, Uh, is targeting 80% of the building stocks to be green by 2030. And the government is issuing grants to support that.
0: What I hear a lot is the carrots, you know, the grants, the money. Great, you know, and like trying to like entice you to do it. At what point do you think the government needs to say, hey, these are the mandates that need to take place. There are repercussions if you don't do this. right." At what point... Does the government need to say, look, enough of the carrots? Okay, we need to do more carrots, but you need to start introducing clear mandates then.
1: Yeah, uh, yeah, it's basically a, a, both a carrot stick approach. Yeah, the stick um, needs to come in in terms of the government implementing mandatory green building certification for all new buildings. Hmm. I think that has to come in.
0: Certain How far uh, away are we in doing that, though, um, in your view? We're,
1: with slowly on the way, certain councils are already uh, mandating that as part of your KM or your planning approval for any new new projects. So they put that in. Um, like, for example, any projects near a TOD, a transit-oriented development, uh, for example, MPBJ and I think MPSJ require your your building to be gold rating uh, if you are within the TOD uh, circle, so, which makes sense. Which makes you're sense, yeah. are buying the development around uh, a, a transit yeah. port, la. Um, so they have really slowly doing that, but I think the education and awareness needs to flow down from the federal to the state, to the, to the local authority level. Um, and the other local authorities need to sort of come on board, plus other state governments as well.
0: When do you expect to see half of Malaysia's buildings to be green?
1: Oh, I hope, I hope before 2030, actually, mm-hmm. because uh, we're in a climate emergency at the moment. No one, no one actually is, seems to be urgent about doing it, lah. So I think we need a defined roadmap, uh, driven by government, but I think in collaboration with private sector, we need incentives. The other one that I want to cover actually is uh, incentives for residential because most of the tax incentives now are actually for commercial buildings. Actually, it's none for residential. So I, I, the lowest hanging fruit and the biggest needle mover would be actually to give, for example, stamp duty waivers for any house purchaser of a green building. I think that will really, you know, drive drive the demand for it. Once there's a demand, developers will definitely build the houses, the green certified houses, for the for the to meet the demand. So that's one of the, I guess, the biggest needle movers mm-hmm. we can look at. I see um, things like uh, tax deductions or double tax deductions for green leases. So you get the tenants wanting to be in a green certified building to enjoy the, for example, the tax deductions, and that will also drive the the landlords or the of the building owners to build green certified buildings, so there's a there's a pull and push. There's a demand. There's a to create the demand to have the supply, um, and there's also the carrot and stick as well. So ho- hopefully by twenty thirty, uh, at least we'll get a lot more accelerated push towards more green buildings.
2: Yeah, and if I if I may just add uh, one more thing, I think we also need to start more granular tracking of energy consumption and CO2 emissions for buildings and making this data transparent and available to the public. Uh, that way, you know, people are more likely to change their consumption habits. The behavioral component also is very important. How we use our buildings to take mm-hmm. responsibility for the climate. Uh, there's no point having energy efficient air conditioning but running it 24 hours a day Things quite often many of us go to a hotel and because we're paying for it, we just leave the uh, air con running even when we're not in the room. So things like this have a tremendous multiplier potential to reduce our energy consumption and consequently uh, reduce the amount of CO2 emissions released. Uh, we've been talking a lot about energy uh, because that is, uh, I guess, you know, we've not covered any of the other pillars in, in much detail, but energy is the main driver for CO2 emissions. 90% of our grid is still fossil fuel based. And that's only going to shift down to something like 83% by 2040. You know, uh, so you know we are still very dependent on fossil fuels. The demand side management is critical, and it's very important that data is made available to the public. So that this is, you know, we can move in the right direction and know where we're moving.
0: That's all the time for today's property show. Thank you for being on the show, Ashwin and Ping. That was Ashwin Raja, Executive Director of Re, Malaysia's leading green building certification body, and Teo Chui Ping, Greenree board member and Secretary General of Reda, as well as Managing Director of Central Properties Group, Sandhiram Berhad. I'm Philip C. signing off for the morning run. We have the 10 a.m. News Bulletin coming up next, followed by Enterprise, BFM 89.9.